0: you are listening to church of the oaks podcast where we exist to send disciple makers of jesus by being disciple makers of jesus for more information about our church such as service times upcoming events or how to join a group please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. My name's Britton, I'm the pastor here, and in fact, got a chance to meet you. We'd love to get to meet you, um, get to hang out a little bit. Uh, I was just standing over there before we came up, and I was just thinking about how we we just sang about the mountains and the valleys, right? Some of you were on some mountains, and a lot of you were in some valleys. Uh, that's one of the most relevant things that we can, we can sing about, especially at this time of year, especially like college students. I mean, every single one of you is stressed out and busy and tired and whatever, right? Uh, every single parent in the room has had a kid that had flu in like the last five days and you're real sick of that Um, and all the rest of you just tired of hearing about it so like there's mountains and valleys is always relevant. Um, I I think that's that's relevant also to our time in the word this morning because we're we're hitting hitting, uh, just a really important um, stage and it speaks to like this desire in our hearts for a change of scenery. Would any of you like a change of scenery right now? It's February in Alabama, where 40 degrees is, for some reason, the coldest place on earth. And uh, all of us would, would um, love nothing more than a change of scenery. So it doesn't, like, maybe not just for the weather, but maybe like for life, maybe for the city, maybe for your circumstances. Like there's just, there's a lot of us that is, you know, there's a, a long and a desire in us for this the season to change, the, the circumstances to change. We, we put a lot of hope in that. A lot of times we put a lot of hope in, in our circumstances changing. We put a lot of effort in changing our own circumstances and try to control those things and, and move things around so that we can get what we want, so we can be at this place of fulfillment hope that we think would come if the circumstances would just change. When things are hard, when our desires are unmet, we're struggling in one way or the other, we're like, man, if I could just change my circumstance, everything would be okay. We start trying to make external shifts around us. External shifts happen, right? So I need a new city. I need some new friends. I need a new house, a new hobby. I need some, a new relationship. I need a new church. Like I need, if I could just change the external, I'd be good. How's that working for you? Because I know how it works for me. It ain't working at all, right? I put a lot of effort in trying to like, you know, manicure the landscaping of my life. And a lot of times it doesn't amount to much. We're jumping into the uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah this morning, and um, I'll just tell you a little bit about Ezra and Nehemiah because you probably haven't read those in the, like the last week. You know, it's probably not your favorite. But like, so it's initially, originally, this was written as one book. Ezra and Nehemiah was one scroll. It was later divided in my eleven hundreds. You know, for some reason, but it's, it's one. It's one thing. All right, it's one thing. And it's, 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 it brings to an end uh, the story of the Old Testament. So this is our, if we're doing the whole story series, so if, if you're new around here first week, we've been walking through the whole story of God's word from beginning to end. And this is the week where we're ending the Old Testament. Next week, we start the New Testament. Like that's it's a crazy, it's a crazy movement, okay? And you would expect as we're ending the Old Testament, you would expect there to be some sort of climax, like some sort of, you know, crescendo here, uh, i don't want to spoil it for you but there's not Ezra nehemiah is interesting too because like if you if you are if it is your first week here this is like we're talking about the last you know book of the lord of the Rings series or something and you're going i mean it's hard to know what's going on a lot has happened And so unless you've read all of that's come before this, it's difficult to make some sense out of it. I'm going to try to help you with that, but I'd really love to encourage you to go back and and catch up. All of our stuff's on the podcast. You can catch up in that whole story of God's Word from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of the Old Testament this week and and see the magnitude of what God's doing. All right? But essentially what this this book, Ezra Nehemiah, essentially what it's doing is it's, it's explaining what happens when the people of God, or some of them at least, are returning from exile back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. Okay, and so we talked about exile a while back where that's the whole, you know, like the people of God has continually rebelled against him. He sent warning after warning after warning and they didn't listen to the warning and eventually came consequence for their disobedience and sin. They were exiled, like the, the whole like, land was conquered. by Babylon, the people were taken into exile. Not really knowing if they're ever gonna come back or not. God sent prophets to encourage and comfort, but like there was consequence for sin. And so now we're at the end of this, where they're coming back. It seems like the goodness is about to be restored, that all of this terrible is going to be, you know, wiped away, and this is going to be this beautiful and powerful moment of restoration. Everything's going to be okay. The external situation is going to be fixed. Everybody's going to be great. So, those moments you long for. It's not going to come. Just to help you out just a little bit, I don't know if you know this, but if you have a table of contents in your Bible, uh, if you'd flip over there. You know, just, just take a look at this for a second. Let me just help you like understand how the Bible fits together just for a sec. So if, if, and if I guess you can turn on your Bible too, and there's probably a way to do table of contents there too, right? So this thing this like, look at this. So you got the beginning, you got Genesis to Esther. That's, that's the history section. It's primarily telling the story of what, what happened. Okay. Genesis to Esther is the history section. Then you get that yeah, a little bit and you got the wisdom section. That's Job to song of songs. That fits under there, but that's that's wisdom literature. It's a different kind of genre. It's not just one, the Old Testament's not one story, you know, page one to the last page of it. The history section's over here. Then there's a wisdom section. Then there's the prophet section, which is Isaiah to Malachi. And the prophets are writing during different periods of the history section. Okay, so you gotta, if, you're, if you're doing this chronologically, you got to go find the history section. Then you got to find the prophets that are talking about that and match those things up, which is kind of complicated to do, which is what we've been doing in the series, right? So it would help you out. If you're looking at your table of contents, the prophets that were writing during the fall of Jerusalem, that was Jeremiah, his lamentations that were there, Daniel, Ezekiel, those guys. But during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, at the very end of your Old Testament, you got Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. Those are the people writing at the time of the return, which we're talking about this morning. Does that help you make some sense out of the way your Old Testament's arranged? Good, okay. So like maybe you wanna like draw some brackets around some stuff or something, you know? Uh, good. Okay, so that's how the Bible works. Anyway, a few weeks ago, um, we, we started reading as the Southern Kingdom, God's people fell further away of God. Like they're, they're ca- captured by Babylon. And Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia ended up conquering uh, Babylon, all right? So Jeremiah prophesied that was going to happen too. And Jeremiah also, we talked about how Jeremiah promised hope. I think all of us are looking for hope, something we can hope in, hope for this better future, this better outcome. And so Jeremiah promises these people that hope is coming. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 3, it says this, it says, For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says, Lord, I'll bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are people who are living in captivity. They've been living in captivity. Jeremiah's writing and saying, listen, God told me, he's told me to send you this letter telling you, like, I'm going to bring you back. It's not always going to be like this. There's hope in that. Jeremiah 30, verse uh, 18, it says, thus says the Lord, behold, I'll restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob. Have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt. Well, it's burned down, like it's going to be rebuilt on its mound. The palace shall stand where it used to. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving. The voices of those who celebrate. I'll multiply them, they shall not be few. I'll make them honor, and they shall not be small. There's going to come days when there's rejoicing in the city. Or what was taken away, what was destroyed, it's all going to be rebuilt. It's going to be okay, guys. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They've been looking forward this the whole time they've been in exile, right? The whole time they've been looking for these promises of Jeremiah, right? But, uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, that I was their husband, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sin no more. So this is what they're looking forward to. They're looking forward to like a restoration of place. They're looking forward to being freed. Being like like, let go, like somehow they're going to be freed again. Somehow they're going to enter into the the place that was promised to them. It's all going to be the way that it was, but now better somehow because there's going to be this new covenant. Like Isaiah was also right there. They're hoping Isaiah chapter 11 is about to come true. Isaiah 11, 1 says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So a prophecy prophecies about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Like They're thinking that when they get freed, when they get back to the promised land, when they had their change of external circumstances, when they had this place that they've been longing to be, when they get there, that the Messiah is going to come and everything's going to be as it should be. You have some things you're hoping into. Now, I may not be to that order of magnitude, all right? But there's some things that you're hoping for and you're looking forward to and you're like, I mean, you're just on pins and needles, nail biter. Like, is it like hoping for some situations to come about or situations to be changed in your life? A lot of what their hope was in was in these external shifts, these changes. And they're waiting to see if God pulls these things off for them. It kind of makes Ezra and Nehemiah kind of a nail-biter of a story because they're thinking, like, after all these years, it's finally going to come. It's all going to—the Messiah's is coming. We're going to be restored. It's going to be great, better than it ever was. Everything's going to be perfect. If we could just get there, everything's going to be perfect. that sound familiar to you? They thought the issue was their place, their circumstances. So their hope was in God fixing their external situation. I didn't got doing anything inside of them. For For these people, like they thought their problem was a physical place. They thought that was the place that they were in right now. Some of you feel like that. Some of you feel like the physical, like where you are right now, this city, this campus, like this, that is your problem. If I could just get out of here, man, I can't wait to get out of here. The next place, gonna be so much better. Is it? For some of you, it's not. For some of you, it's a new relationship. Man, if I just could get like, if I could just get the relationship, the kind of guy that I've always looked for, you know, the kind of girl that I've always looked for, I could just find them, everything would be the way it's supposed to be. One day when I find them, when I find the one, some of you, it's a new job, some of it's a job at all, you know, right? All your hopes in this, this, this career, this, this job, man, if I get a, if I get that promotion, Everything's gonna be the way it should be. A problem for you, for them, is external. My situation is the issue. So your prayer is God, would, won't you change my circumstances? God won't you change my circumstances? It's really all you need from him because you're hoping in the external. You're not hoping in him. You just want him to help with the external thing, right? God, I don't need necessarily so needs you. I need you to fix that stuff because this is what I want. I want the place, I want the relationship, I want the career, I want the paycheck, I want the savings account, and if you can help me get those things, I'm good. They didn't want him, they wanted the external. Let's see what happens with that. Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, which we read. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. We could talk about that for a long time. That's crazy, all right? There's the king of Persia's over here, like, proclaiming that God has told him to... Build God a house, and in Jerusalem, and he never, you know, like it's a whole thing. So, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He's the God who's in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. Basically, what Cyrus says is uh, the God of heaven has told me to make this thing happen, to go rebuild the place that my predecessors burned to the ground. I'm going to let the captives go, go rebuild it. On top of that, everybody around them and everybody here, we're going to pay for it for them. That's the plan. Now, if you think God can't move some mountains, that's a pretty sizable one, right? Um, (laughs) And he's put it in writing. it It can't be taken back. It's just it's a decree. So this is what happens verse 5. It says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, the priests and the Levites, everybody whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord's in Jerusalem. So they all go. Not all the people, but the people that God s- stirs their hearts to go. So like, people, they gather up like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, and they, they, they go. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes we read stories in the Old Testament, or stories in the Bible in general, and... Um, we just kind of think that they're just stories. And for a lot, of, a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament, there's not, like he's like, I don't know if there's any proof for this. It sounds like a nice story. Who knows if it actually transpired? Well, this one is, is interesting because in 1879, they found this thing. Uh, boop. That's called the Cyrus Cylinder. Uh, the thing that it says that he just wrote, he, they wrote it on that. All right, that's what it says. It says exactly the same thing that your text says. They founded in 1879 in the ancient city of Babylon. Before that, nobody knew the thing existed, right? You go to the ancient city of Babylon where the Bible says that Sirius wrote a decree. You go pull the thing out of the wall. There's your decree. It dates to the sixth century BC, founded in 1879. Before that, who knows if it's true or not, right? That should have an impact on the way you read your word, okay? All right, so you can take that thing off of there. All right, so God stirs up Cyrus to allow God's people to go back to Jerusalem, build the temple. This is crazy. God has somehow moved in Cyrus' heart, like Cyrus' heart to, like, to bring this about. This is straight up miraculous. The captors are letting the people go and paying for the rebuild project, okay? So I got a map for you of how, this, how they travel back and the whole thing. It's this, it's this massive movement of people to get back to Jerusalem. So they go. Okay, they're led by some folks and one of the leaders is a guy named Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel, he he is the first of three leaders that we're gonna look at. And Zerubbabel, what he does, he leads the people to rebuild the temple. All right, so if you're writing notes, Zerubbabel led the people to rebuild the temple. Okay, so. This is how it starts. They get there, they rebuild the altar first up, they start offering sacrifices again like they were supposed to back in the beginning, but the temple was still destroyed. So the second year they get around to start rebuilding the temple. They got a foundation laid, they got it kind of going on, they're getting getting some some stuff happening, but some people in the region were like pretty afraid of this. people who were taking power in the region that, you know, when it was empty, they're scared. So they send letters to Xerxes, this new king, who we talked about last week. Remember the drunk guy making his wife do a spin at the Super Bowl party like that guy? Um, They send a letter to him, and he's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't build that, and stops him. Tells people to stop. And the people, they just kind of roll over and stop. They stay busy, though. They stay busy, though. They stay busy building their own houses. They're building some fancy houses for themselves, okay? Because all these resources that have been poured out to go rebuild the temple are now being reallocated. Well, they told me I can't build this, so I can build myself a solid house right now, okay? So they're building palaces for themselves all while there's the foundation of the temple just sitting there dormant. About this time, Zechariah and Haggai, the prophets that we looked at in your table of contents, they enter the story here, and they start calling out the people for their motives, their hearts, Zechariah says, like, like, listen, you're prioritizing the wrong thing here. You've been sent to rebuild the temple. You're rebuilding your own palaces. That's not, there's a motivational issue there. Like, who, who are you really here to serve? You trying to build your castle or are you trying to build the kingdom? Incredibly relevant for all of us. Haggai rolls in. He's like, listen, if you don't turn to the Lord with your whole heart, if you don't turn to the Lord with your whole heart, like all this rebuilding stuff is going to be completely useless. You're not gonna get to experience the presence of God. He's not gonna bless your half-hearted efforts. Meanwhile, you're building your, your kingdom. You're building your own castle. That's not how this works. So Zechariah and Haggai call out the hearts of the people who are really for themselves and say, listen, this is, all of your rebuilding stuff is gonna be useless. God's not gonna bless your half-hearted effort." God's not interested in what you can build with your hand. He's interested in, like, the condition of your heart before him, your love for him. Like, he's not, it's not about the external. The message actually gets through for a while, and the people, they get back after rebuilding the temple. But this new temple they end up building doesn't compare to the old one. The people who are old enough to remember the original temple are just heartbroken. They're distraught. They're just, like, literally, like this story about them just weeping at how the, this new temple doesn't compare to the old, so they kind of half-heartedly keep going. The neighbors get all concerned about it again. They're trying to rebuild. The neighbors are mad. Send letters to the new king. This guy's name's Darius, right? And they they say, "Hey, we got to get these people to stop. This this is this is crazy. It's going to build this other kingdom. It's going to compete with you." Also, they're lying and saying that some previous king gave them permission. So Darius has to go do a search in Ezra chapter six. It sends like, orders a search. Like, hey, go, they, go see if somebody, go see if Cyrus said that we got to pay for this, all <laughs> right? Goes and does a search, finds the thing I showed you earlier. I was like, oh shoot, we got to pay for this. And so then tells the people that are trying to get the work to stop that they have to pay for the work. That's great. Love that. So they finish rebuilding the temple. Complete the work. And it's supposed to be this moment, right? Where everything's supposed to be right again. I, like the Messiah is gonna come, everything's gonna be restored to the way it was. He's, even though our hearts are kind of religious really for ourselves here, like they finished the temple, they're, they're sacrificing like Solomon did at the, at the initial uh, opening of the temple. Throwing this huge party, right? And, and, and expecting the presence of God to, to do what it did before, where it just visibly, like tangibly filled the temple. The cloud of the Lord, is, like so thick that no one could even go in it, right? It's just like God visibly, his presence right there among them. They're expecting that, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. The Spirit of God doesn't move, the presence isn't there. It's just they built a building while they're really just wanting to build their own castle there's something in all of us that wants to build our castle above the kingdom there's something in all of us that says i look at like i'm gonna i need to get my external stuff handled i'm gonna build my castle i'm gonna get my stuff secure i'm gonna build a moat around my thing and then once everything is as i need it to be then i'll have some time and some energy to focus on the kingdom i'm gonna do me now and then yeah me and like the whole like live for the lord build the kingdom stuff i'll do that uh one day and it is exactly what these people did to no effect nothing happens it's not the same god doesn't show up even though they built a building nothing happens what happened what what haggai and zechariah said would happen came true they didn't just need a change of external circumstances they needed a change of heart they didn't address the heart. They, they got all the external just the way they thought it was supposed to be, but their hearts were unchanged. And they never got to experience the presence of God. What have you been hoping in? Have you been hoping in building your castle? Getting the landscaping done, manicuring the lawn of your life, man? Like, like, or have you been on your knees like, bleeding with the lord to change you i'm not saying the situations that you're going through don't matter to the lord they absolutely do but these people put their hope in the external not in the lord is your hope in the external is your hope in the new job is your is your hope in like the career and the relationship and the whatever like is that is that where your hope is Or is your hope in the Lord? And like the Lord cares about your situations, right? Like the Lord cares about your circumstances. But like who are you trusting in? That stuff or him? There's a fine line there. People are back. They got themselves a big old building. God's presence sitting in it. Some of you are walking through a season that's similar. Where you got a big old castle coming. You got a solid foundation laid for your thing. You're not experiencing the presence of the Lord because your heart's unchanged. For them, that's a mess. For us, it's a mess, right? The story keeps going. You're like, all right, surely the second leader, he's gonna pull him out of this, right? This the second leader's Ezra. I got a kid named Ezra. I like Ezra, all right? So the story keeps going. Fast forward a little bit. Ezra enters the story. It's been 60 years, 60 years. Go to Ezra chapter seven, verse six. Leader number two, let's see what he does. All right, so this is Ezra. He goes up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses. This is Ezra chapter seven, verse six. Skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel had given and the king granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. God's hand is on this guy, right? Like that's there. God's in it. So verse seven says, there also went up from Jerusalem uh, in the seventh year of Arxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel. Some of the priests, the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, temple servants. So Ezra leads another another return, another group of people back to the promised land. Verse 8, it says that Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good of his hand, the good, for the good hand of his God was on him. That's very specific. Again, it's just helpful to think about these things. Study the law of the Lord. Ten says this: for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra shows up because he wants not restore the building. He wants to restore the law. He wants to restore the people to the word of God. Now, that's admirable, right? That's admirable. Like, there's this, God's in that, like, that, there's this whole thing. So, chapter Ezra, chapter 7 through 10, Ezra leads the return party. They show up. He's going to restore the people to the Torah. He's going to teach them how to observe God's law. Like, follow this, you know, he have this massive Bible study, all right? We're going we're to knock this thing out. He wants to reestablish all these community rhythms that the people of God are supposed to be a part of and they don't know how to do. He's gonna show them the word and show them how to follow it. Once again, as as, as things keep going, things go sideways. Ezra uh, gets the the people, the the rulers of the the place get in his ear and and start stirring him up, stirring stirring the people up about these people who had intermarried with surrounding people groups. Ezra ends up in, in, enacting a divorce decree, saying, hey, if you've intermarried with anybody else from these surrounding areas, like you've got to divorce these people, despite the fact that the prophet Malachi, the last book of your Bible, the last book of your, your Old Testament, Malachi is writing at the same time about how much God hates divorce. Pretty soon, like the like the politics and the 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 pressures of like this this place and these people, like starts taking even superseding what the prophets are saying, and like it's just a mess all over again. Ezra starts out like this is with an admirable intent. It ends in a mess. The third leader, the third leader is named Nehemiah, right? And so like Nehemiah, he leads a third return. He hears about the disrepair of the city walls and he's like, I, I've got to do something about this. Feels this call on God, call, call from God to do something about the disrepair of the city walls, the city structure, right? we got the temple, we got the law, and now we got the whole city structure, right? And God's hands on this one too. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer and at risk of his life, same as we talked about Esther going before the king last week, Nehemiah goes before the king and tells him what's going on, and basically asks the king to give him permission and resources to go rebuild this city. And God leads the king to do it. So Nehemiah shows up, and at great effort, and despite great opposition, Nehemiah leads the people to rebuild the city walls, and like there's, yeah, there, I mean, there's so much opposition they're having to build with like their sword on their hip. I mean, it's high, high pressure, scary stuff. A lot of effort going into these external situations. There's also there's like a ton of leadership principles in the book of Nehemiah, which are awesome. Nehemiah does a great job leading the people, casting vision for the people, like all, he does a great job. Finally, and, but by the time you get to the end of the story, like, it's still a mess, though. Nehemiah chapter eight, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're there at the same time. They get together and hold a one week long revival, right? Gather everybody up, read the whole law together, like, like recommit themselves to the covenant. They're trying to get the people to like, come on, like follow the Lord. Don't just like do the external stuff. It's great we built some walls. It's great we got a Bible study. It's great we got a building, but like you have to actually follow the Lord. You know, like you gotta, it's, it's not just an external thing. And the people are standing there, they're like, all right. It's of no effect people wanted a place, the people wanted a city, the people wanted a building, the people wanted all the decorations. But their heart wasn't in it. Despite the big new house, despite the big old Bible study, despite the landscaping, everything's still a mess. At the end of the story of, of Nehemiah's life, this is, the, this is the result of all this effort. These three leaders and all this time and all this energy and all these resources, the end result is Nehemiah walking around his, his city. As he's walking around, he sees that the temple's being dishonored. That's the first leader. He sees that the Torah is not being kept. People are working on Sabbath. That's the second, it's Ezra. Even his walls are involved. People are like, turning his walls into markets and selling stuff on the Sabbath. Like, no one's heart is actually drawing near to the Lord, even though they've got all of the external sorted out. All the work of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah didn't amount to much. In fact, the, the book ends with Nehemiah getting so angry. He like, runs around in like a fit of rage, punching people and ripping people's hair out. It's a weird story, right? And then he sits down at the end and prays about it, and he, like the, literally, the history of the Old Testament ends with Nehemiah's like, this is literally Nehemiah 31, remember me, oh God, for good. He's like, dude, I tried. I don't know. Old Testament over. <laughs> it's literally how it ends. That's the end of the history of the Old Testament. Nehemiah's like, well, that didn't work. That's it. I find myself there sometimes <laughs> or I get sideways or I start trying to fix all of my externals and you know build my little castle and I you know, get everything arranged just the way I want it to be and every few seconds it all falls apart, right? I'm building castles out of sand that I have no ability to, to uphold. It's frustrating. But wait, like, didn't we read Jeremiah earlier? We read all these like, promises of hope and goodness, restoration, power. Didn't we read all that? So we're all these promises of God in the midst of this story, which ends in nothing. Like it was, once they rebuild the temple, the community, all this stuff, the Torah is back in place. Like, shouldn't everything have been the way? No. Because it wasn't a heart change. It was an external change. Have you tried to change your externals, but nothing really happened? You've tried to do that before? Change your circumstances? You've tried to fix some things, move some people. You know, I've got some people in my life that are dragging me down. I'm gonna move them out of my life. I'm gonna get some new people in my life so I'm gonna be okay. Really, like, it's just a job stress thing. Like, the job is just really stressful and it's really dragging me down. So, like, I'm just gonna get a different job and not be stressed about that one somehow. How'd that work? Like, man, my house is kind of junky. It just really bums me out. You know, I, was, I wanna get a better house. We're gonna get some other people. We're gonna move over. How'd that, was it better? Do you love it? No, I mean, it's, it's all just a mess. It's all castles made out of sand. There's, it's not, that, none of that is of any effect. Here's the issue. These people, they addressed all of their externals, but they failed to address what mattered most. Look, at, look again at, at God's promise to Jeremiah. Let's look at it one more time. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. There's an internal change, a heart change that Jeremiah is speaking to. There's going to come a day when like, God is changing people's hearts, not their externals. He says, I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. Ezekiel says something similar, but even more profound. Ezekiel 36, 24, it says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I'll cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart, a a new spirit I'll put within. This is Old Testament stuff. They don't know about Jesus, right? I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you not in the temple, not in a building, not behind a curtain, not somewhere that you got to go, I'll put my spirit within you. We've talked about this, like the whole trajectory of these covenants where God's like trying to restore what was broken in the garden, like moving forward, like there's a moment after moment where God's drawing closer and closer to his people and providing, like making ways to cleanse them enough to draw near to his holiness. And you get to to Ezekiel's, I'll put my spirit within you. That is crazy to them. That's crazy to us. I'm going to put my spirit within you and that's going to cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Not because of your grit, not because of how determined and self-controlled you are. I'm going to put my spirit in you. That's going to help you and enable you to walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You be my people, I'll be your God. These people did not need a church building. They didn't need a better community. They didn't need better behaviors or a better location or a better circumstances. They didn't need a bigger Bible study. They needed a changed heart. And they focused on everything outside of themselves. All their hope was outside. And God didn't change their heart because they didn't let it. Their issue, my issue, your issue is the condition of your heart. Now, I know the things that you face and the difficulties that you walk through, and the struggles that you walk through are immense. And yeah, I think God wants to move in and over all of those things. But is your hope in him to move over those things or is your hope in those things to be better, and now you're gonna be okay. These people, their hearts were never changed. I talk to a lot of people that get stuck here. I talk to a lot of people who get stuck here hoping in all this external modification. If this were different or that were different, everything would be great. Your hope is in your externals. Like, it, if I could just, I mean, it's funny. Like, I talk to people, man, if I could just lose some weight, everything's gonna be great. You could talk to some freshman boys, like, dude, if I could just gain some weight, everything would be great. All right, you're like, okay, you know, man. If I could just get a house, man, I can't wait to like, we're gonna get married, we're gonna get a house, we're gonna put all, we're gonna, we're gonna blow everything we got on getting that house. And you talk to some other people who have a house, like, dude, if I, we're gonna blow everything we got to get a different house because that one's crap. You know, like, I was, I, just change the circumstances. This new one's gonna be awesome. Everything's gonna be fine then. If I could just get a boyfriend, the right one, would hit my entire checklist, all seventy two items. If I could get him to like me, I'm going to, you know, there's going to be the spark, you know. Uh, We're going to complete each other, right? It's going to be wonderful. And then you get him and they're like, dude, if I could just get rid of this boy, my whole life would be okay. Isn't it crazy how fast that switches? You're laughing, guys. It's true. Some of you are dating that girl and you're like, dude, my life would be so much simpler if she would just never talk to me again. Yeah. You prayed for her. Some of y'all are like, dude, look, uh, I I just cannot wait till I get to move to a new city. I'm so tired of Tuscaloosa. Then the next three years later, like, if I could just move home, (laughs) if I could just live on the same street as my mama, life will be a lot better. One minute you want new, next minute you want old. If I could just change majors, if I could just get a job, if I can get a different job, if I can find a better church, if I can get a different community, if I could have, uh, like, a more funny tribe leader. Like, if I could just... Oh, man, everything would be fine. Some of you are like, if I, could just, if I could just get one good night of sleep, everything would be great. No, it's not. None of that stuff matters. None of that's true. You're not going to get everything you want out of a little bit of a change. Here's the message of Ezra and Nehemiah. None of that matters. It ain't going to change a thing. And if your hope is in it, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. And you're going to miss out on getting to walk in the presence of the Spirit of God. You're going to to, to miss out on actually finding real hope and real peace, real lasting fulfillment, real lasting purpose for your life. You're going to miss all of that because you're so busy trying to build a sandcastle. You need a change of heart, not a change of scenery. You need a change of heart, not a change of scenery. The Old Testament ends with this point of disappointment. It's like a big sign like pointing forward like there's got to be more to it than this we don't find the fulfillment of it until you get to the new testament the new testament you get to this point where you you, you, in the story where god's people are longing for hope to come they've found all of this external to be of no consequence and they're just longing for some hope and then into the story walks jesus christ into the hopelessness, into the futility of their striving, Jesus strides in as the conquering king, ushering in a kingdom that will not fade away. Offers the captives and the exiles and the brokenhearted and the sinful forgiveness and restoration bought and paid for by himself on the cross. All of the hope that the, of the entire Old Testament, everything they've been longing for just gets set on his shoulders and he perfectly and completely fulfills it. Dying on the cross for us, rising from the dead for us, like making a way for us to have eternal life, like all hope, all goodness, all joy in him. You and I had the privilege of getting to live on that side of the story, not this one. That is an unspeakable privilege. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 5. He says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our, what? Hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us by the Son. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ dies for the ungodly, gives us his spirit, pours his spirit into our hearts, and because our hearts are changed, hope does not put us to shame. Because our hope is now in him. What's your hope in? Is your hope in a change of external situation? Because it's going to be just as rough over there as it is where you are. Yeah, I want to see God move in the, in, the, in the mountains and the valleys that I'm walking through too, but I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to make sure that I'm hoping in him to work in me, through me, despite whether I'm on mountains and valleys, despite the situations that he's going to move like, over and in and through me for his good purposes. My hope's in him. I'm, I'm, I'm striving to cling to that. My hope to be in him, not in the decorations of my life. You don't need to change the circumstance. You need God to change your heart. But it is so much easier to mess around with your externals. It is so much easier to just try to like curate your life and like let God kind of come and help with the curation. You know, he can, he can do some of the legwork, right? But your hopes, like it's so much easier. That I'm telling you, like it is of no consequence. It takes a lot of surrender to set down your castle and allow God to change your heart. So as we bring our time to a close, I just want to give you a moment to, to reflect on that. To like, do some heart work on that, right? Like, that's what we're talking about. And so doing heart work is a hard thing. And so there's something in you that you want to stop right there and fold your little journal closed and be like, that was good, I'm out. But there's heart work to do now. When the band comes and they lead a time response, there's heart work to be done here. So I just want you to think about this. If you're a Christian in the room, like, is your heart aligned with his Christians in the room, like, is your heart in surrender, like, is, are you allowing him to do that heart work in you? Or has your heart gotten captured by the decoration? If you're a Christian in the room, that's just what I want you praying about. I just want you to pray about the condition of your heart with the Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, I, I, this is hard because, like, everything in the world, everybody in your world has been telling you to, to to work as hard as you can to fix all of the external stuff, and then you're going to be okay. And I'm just here to tell you, that's not true. But there is one better, there's one greater, who has superseded all of your circumstance, (laughs) Who walked into our mess with us, before you could ever even ask him to, died on the cross for you to set you free from all that mess, and to usher you into his kingdom, not your sandcastle in the grave, like three days later, like making a way for you to live forever with the Father. Like he's made something, like he is something that you can put your hope and your trust in. I know it is a massive jump to go from trying to build your castle to trusting in the King. But there's a lot of people in this room who have investigated this, pressed into this, like done the research, like s- s- searched their own heart, searched the word, like they've, they've come to find this Jesus to be true. And that may sound crazy to you where you sit this morning. I'm, I'm incredibly confident that if you'll lean in, if you'll, if you'll just, even right now, if you'll like pray, like, God, would you do something? If you're there, would you show me a better way? He'll answer that prayer. It may be six months, maybe five years. Some of you may have been praying that prayer for a long time, and today is the day. you like, I have been chasing the externals. I need Jesus to change my heart. You can do that this morning, but it doesn't have to be a this morning thing. Maybe today's the step one of God drawing you out of all that mess of you trying to decorate your world, drawing you to himself. Regardless, there's a point of surrender. If you're a Christian in the room and some things have captured your heart, there's a point of surrender to set some of those things down. I want you to do that right now where you are. If you're not a believer yet, and you're saying, I'm not even sure you know, this is real. Like there's a point of surrender to say, God, if you're actually there, I'm listening, take surrender. Why don't you do that right now? If you're in the room and you're saying like, I've been chasing all kind of other stuff, like I, I, I need God to change my heart for the first time. I need to be saved. And there's a point of surrender of laying all that stuff down and trusting in the person of Jesus, your savior and your Lord, that takes surrender. You can do that right now. And then there's something really powerful about having the opportunity to say that to somebody else. So our next step seems gonna be in the back. And whatever it is you're surrendering, whatever it is you're laying down, whatever the external stuff is that you're setting down trying to draw into the Lord, whether you're a Christian or not, I think there's something powerful about going back there to the back and talking to somebody at the next, next steps team, letting them pray for you. Come back to your seat. This has this effect of solidifying some things for you. So I pray, that I'm hoping, I'm you know, praying that every one of those people back there at Next Step is gonna have a line of you saying, hey, this is what I'm setting down. This is what I've been chasing. Would you pray for me? And I know the Lord's gonna move in that, move through that. I'll leave you with this and I wanna pray for you. You don't need a change of scenery. You need a change of heart. So in the next few moments together, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Father, I know in my own life, this one's, this one's tough for me. I keep finding myself going back and chasing after just all this external stuff and, and thinking that hope and goodness is going to be found in them and not in you. And Lord, I just pray that you forgive me for that. For every one of the believers in the room, like I pray that you would just forgive us of for that. That you would show us the things that we've been looking to and trusting in trying to find our hope in besides you. And this morning, right now, We would set those things down. God, I want to pray for my friends in the room who aren't Christians yet, and I know that setting down all this this life that they've been trying to live for and trust you with life is, is a terrifying thing. God, I pray that by your spirit that you would move in them. Show them that real goodness, like real lasting hope, real lasting freedom, real lasting purpose. It's only found in you. It's not found in there castle help them to move towards you this morning i pray for those in the room who are just right on the cusp of trusting you as savior that this morning would be enough that you would move by your spirit draw them to yourself and they trust you as savior right now god move during this time we trust you certainly so let me pray amen why don't you stand next step is open for you you respond how you need to Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.